thank you to each and every person who has uh, participated and shared their gifts with our congregation this morning. It is very much appreciated. Um, let's continue in a posture of prayer as we open the word of God again. Lord God, we are asking for your assistance this morning as hearers of your word. Lord, may we not come to your word with our preconceptions and presuppositions and be stubborn with those, but may we be open to hearing you speak your voice. And Lord, I pray for assistance as the one bringing the word that I would take a distant backseat to you and that your glory and your majesty and your uh, instruction and direction would shine through. And that you would teach us, Lord, and bring each of us in this hour uh, to a deeper place of discipleship. Uh, This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was growing up, there were times when maybe I'd say a certain something or I'd act in a certain way, do a certain something. And my older sister would comment that what I had said or what I had done was just so Brentish. And everybody in the family knew exactly what she meant when she said that. She was associating my name, Brent, directly with my person, with my characteristics, with my quirks and my personality. That's just so Brentish. Well, when we think of somebody that we know well, We normally think of that person by name, and we tend to associate the person's name with the person's characteristics or quirks. Isn't that just like Jolene to behave like that? Right? We'd say something like that. Or or isn't that was just so Sam-ish, the way Sam acted in such and such a situation? Well, in the ancient Near East, where the ten words were first given... Names carried tremendous significance in this regard. Names were not merely thought of as labels that were attached to people. Rather, names communicated the very nature and the very character and reputation of the one who was given the name. In this ancient culture, there was perhaps... I think even a closer identification between the person's character and his or her name than there is in our day. Now, one of the aspects of naming in the ancient Near East was the idea that as the one giving the name, you had a measure of authority or control over the one who was receiving The name. So, as a parent who named your child, uh, you showed, by the act of naming the child, you showed that you exercised a measure of authority or control over the child. Or, as a military conqueror who renamed a conquered city, you were showing, in your renaming of the city, that you now had authority over that city. You had conquered it. Or when Adam named the animals in Genesis 2, it was an expression of humanity's authority over created animals. 
Now, the significant thing here is that no one bestows a name on God. Instead, God names himself in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. And why? Well, because there is no authority higher than God. No one can have authority over or control over God, so God names himself. And the personal name that God gives to himself in that Exodus 3 moment and that he shares with us is a name chosen by God to express the sort of God that he is, the sort of character that he is. The name Yahweh suggests, at least it suggests, the idea of faithful presence. We saw that way back in our Exodus series when we were looking at Exodus chapter 3 a couple of years ago. The name of God is about faithful presence because God himself would be with his people. Faithfully, he would be with them through the Exodus from Egypt and afterwards. And we suggested a little earlier this morning that a name in this ancient Near Eastern culture was further connected with the person's reputation. So an example here would be Solomon, who had a reputation, didn't he, for wisdom. 1 Kings 4.31 literally says in the text, it says that Solomon's name, that is, his reputation for wisdom, was in all surrounding nations that were adjacent to Israel. His name was in all surrounding nations. Name connects with reputation. It's sort of like if we say about somebody, she has a good name in the community. What do we mean by that? We mean that the person has a good reputation in the community. Well, with Yahweh, God of Israel, his name and his reputation were intimately connected. In Exodus 9.16, as God is giving a word to Pharaoh there, God connects his power with the idea that his name would spread across the earth. The name Yahweh would be connected with power. And this reputation of his as a God of power, this name of his, would spread across the earth and become famous. Psalm 135, verse 13, connects the words name and renown. Directly it connects those together in terms of God. It says, your name, O Yahweh, endures forever, and your renown, O Yahweh, throughout all ages. Name and reputation, name and renown. Daniel 9.15 connects God's mighty hand in the Exodus with making a name for himself. So there, too, God's name is connected with his reputation as a God who works mighty deliverance for his people. God's name and his reputation are intimately connected. 
Well, friends, all of this is preliminary meditation that I hope will help us even a little better to hear the third word that was read for us earlier, to hear it with perhaps a little bit more sharpness, a little more clarity. God, listen, God had just freshly brought Israel out of Egypt by a mighty, powerful hand. His name, Yahweh, now had this tremendous reputation. The name Yahweh meant faithful presence. It meant liberating power. It meant miraculous deliverance. And it meant grace. And it meant awesomeness. They had just seen all of this in their rescue from Egypt. The question was, would God's people make sure that they held this name Yahweh in high repute wherever they went? Would they take pains to honor the name Yahweh and spread the fame of this name and uphold the reputation of this name in their personal conduct? The third word of the ten words reads, You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, consider with me just for a moment here. If you were a naval cadet and you found yourself in the presence of an admiral, chances are you would not use the admiral's first name to address it, right? You wouldn't say, oh, hey, Frank. Probably in the presence of an admiral, you're a naval cadet, you would say, sir, right? You would stand at attention and you would say, yes, sir. Well, similarly, I'd wager that if you and I suddenly had an audience with Queen Elizabeth, we would not address her by her name Liz, would we? Uh, Probably we would use words like your majesty or your highness. And even if you are a parent with kids, you normally train your kids not to use your first name when they address you. It's somehow it feels improper uh, for kids to call their parents by their parents' first names. My kids do that sometimes as a joke, and I kind of gently correct them on it. Uh, But it feels improper. It's more proper to use mom, dad. Now, the point is, let's not miss the shock of what God has done. God has gone ahead and he has risked giving us his personal name. He has trusted us with his personal name. And God wants us to use his name, to call on his name, to spread his name, and to honor his name. You see, God is no admiral who wants only to be addressed as sir. God is no earthly king or earthly queen who only wants to be addressed as your majesty. No. 
God, who is infinitely higher in rank and infinitely higher in stature than any earthly leader, has given us his personal name, has trusted us with his personal name, and he wants us to address him by that name. This, friends, is a gigantic privilege that God has given to us, and I hope that we see that. But with privilege comes responsibility. And the third word is getting at the responsibility that we have as God's people to use his name properly and responsibly and reverently. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. One way we can think of the name of God is that it's sort of like nuclear material. It has to be handled with great care. It is not to be used flippantly, and it is not to be abused. Now, here's the thing, friends. For many of us, we have thought of the third commandment as being primarily about our words, what we can say and what we are not permitted to say. In fact, for some of us, I would venture to guess, the third commandment has been sort of boiled down to the idea that we shouldn't say the name of God in a profane way or connect the name of God with profanity. And while I think that those sorts of things are certainly covered in the third commandment, I want to try to demonstrate for you that the concern in the verse is far broader than simply saying God's name in connection with profanity. To see what I mean... I want us to focus for a moment or two on the word take in our verse. It's outlined in blue there on the screen. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Now, in the original Hebrew of this verse, the word there is the word nasah, which means to bear or to carry. Now, I want you to listen carefully here. God might have said here, you shall not speak the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Or he might have said, you shall not say the name of Yahweh your God in vain. He he might have decided to, to, to put it that way. In fact, there are a couple of different Hebrew words that mean speak or say that God could have employed here. But God didn't employ those words here. Instead, he chose the specific word, nasah, to bear, to carry. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God in vain, or you shall not carry the name of Yahweh your God in vain. The third word is about bearing or carrying the name of the Lord. When I was about 22 or so, in the days before I was married, my friend Dave and I went on a summer road trip in southern Alberta and southwestern Saskatchewan. And our stated purpose on that trip, what we wanted to do uh, specifically, was to get off the main highways 
and onto the secondary highways, and then off of the secondary highways onto gravel roads and even onto uh, cow trails at times, so that we could search out old abandoned farm buildings just to see what we could see and to find what we could find. Well, in one of those abandoned farmhouses, we found an old soda crate, and inside the crate were a few um, cattle branding books from the, the 1930s and 1940s. And these cattle branding books included pictures of the cattle brands uh, from all the homesteads around the area and the names of the farmers who were associated with the brand. So in case a cow got loose and was lost, it could be identified by its brand mark and returned to its owner. The idea in Exodus 20, verse 7, with that word bear or carry, is not unlike the idea of branding. Daniel Block has pointed this out. As God's people, we bear, we carry the name of God, we bear the reputation of God wherever we roam. Do you understand this? God has put his name on us. Many of us are familiar with 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are what? Called by my what? Called by my name. God's people are called by his name. And in Deuteronomy 28.10, the people again are called by the name of Yahweh. God's people carry the name of God. We bear the name of God wherever we go as believers. It's sort of like if I went to the upcoming National Fellowship Convention in November in Niagara Falls, and at that convention I put on a name tag that says not only Brent Dunbar but Brent Dunbar, pastor at Snowden Baptist, I am now bearing the name of Snowden Baptist Church, right? So my conduct at that conference better be good and proper because I am representing not just myself, but the church that I serve. I am bearing the name of the church. To paraphrase Daniel Block, through my conduct at the conference, I can either be a credit or a liability to the church who sent me. And then Block makes the point, quote, Christian believers have an identity marker that is far more important than temporal institutional labels. They bear the brand of Christ which means that everywhere they go, they represent him. You shall not bear the name or carry the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who carries his name in vain. And so hopefully, friends, we can start to see now that this third word of the ten words is about more than just saying things 
or not saying things. It is more broadly about the very way that we carry ourselves throughout our lives. As believers, we always, wherever we go, bear the name of God, and hence we bear the very reputation of God in every situation we find ourselves in. Will we be careful to honor the name and reverence it and bring glory to it through the way we live? God says here, you shall not bear the name in vain. What does that mean? In vain. How do we flesh out the content of this phrase, in vain? Well, the Hebrew word that's translated into English as in vain is a word that could be translated legitimately as for nothing or for worthlessness or for emptiness. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God for emptiness or for worthlessness. This word can often describe falsehood or lying, voicing useless or false words. Leviticus 19.12 connects swearing falsely, so making false oaths, with profaning the name of God. So perjury is one way to profane God's name. Another way to violate the third word was to blaspheme the name of God, as we see in Leviticus 24. And blaspheming God's name in the ancient Near East carried the death penalty. Another way that Israel could profane God's name would be to engage in the worship of gods other than Yahweh. And it would also profane the name of Yahweh if they were to practice the same evil practices that other nations practice. For example, if they were to practice child sacrifice. Leviticus 18.21 says that sacrificing children to the Canaanite god Molech was to profane the name of Yahweh. It was to hold the name of Yahweh in contempt and it was, it was to soil the name of Yahweh. Friends, the fact is that Israel had been chosen by God to bear God's name to the nations. Israel was God's appointed vehicle through which God would spread his fame and spread his great reputation to the nations for the sake of the nations. Israel was to be a walking, talking advertisement amongst the nations for the generosity and the greatness and the grace and the glory of Yahweh their God. Any trivializing or downgrading of God's name amongst the nations by Israel would cause the nations to draw wrong conclusions about God and lose respect for God. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God. God knows here they're going to Canaan soon. You shall not bear the name of Yahweh your God to emptiness, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who bears his name to emptiness. Well, how did it turn out for Israel? As it turned out for Israel, the name and the reputation of Yahweh was profaned 
by Israel in all sorts of ways, disrepute was brought to Yahweh as Israel was amongst the nations. And later today, I'd encourage you, we don't have time today, but I'd encourage you to read Ezekiel 36 for that part of the story. Israel profaned Yahweh's name by their conduct. And so, in the fullness of time, God sent the one who is the true and obedient Israel. God sent the one who we overhear praying, Hallowed be your name, Father. May your name be regarded as holy. Jesus comes and in all he says and in all he does and in all he thinks, he perfectly bears the Father's name to honor and to reverence. And because of the obedience of Jesus Christ... God makes His name, listen, His name to be the name that is above every name. It's a remarkable moment in the New Testament. The Father bestows on the Son the honor of having the highest name. Acts 4.12 says of the name of Jesus that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Philippians 2.10 says that it's the name Jesus that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess as Lord. The name Jesus means what? Interestingly, it means Yahweh is salvation. As J.V. Fesco has written, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's saving purposes manifest in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of God's saving purposes manifest in the flesh. I wonder if you know him this morning. That's who Jesus is, the fulfillment of God's saving purposes manifest in the flesh. Jesus is God's Savior of God's people. His is the name above every name. Amen? And we in His church call ourselves by His name. We are Christians, Christians. We are baptized in His name. In baptism, we are branded with His name. And we bear His name. As believers, we carry the name of Jesus wherever we go. Believer, when you leave this sanctuary later today, you carry the name of Jesus Christ into the city of Montreal. And this reality ought to be life-changing for us who are his redeemed people. You shall not bear the name above every name. You shall not bear the name of Jesus to emptiness or worthlessness, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who bears 
the name to emptiness. Well, what are some of the ways that the name of Jesus might be carried to worthlessness? Carried to emptiness that you and I have to guard against and ask the Spirit's help to guard against. Well, there are so many dangers. Obviously, speaking God's name in any flippant or inappropriate way violates the third word, but so does speaking lies and speaking falsehoods. That's a way that we bear the name to emptiness. So does refusing to forgive another person. That is bearing the name to emptiness. And so is refusing to stop grumbling. Grumbling fits here as a violation of the third word. Keeping everything for myself and barely giving it away is a way to bear the name of Jesus to emptiness. Or if we keep his name concealed all the time, We never share his name, the one who is the very center of our hope. That, too, is bearing, carrying the name to worthlessness or emptiness. Or failing to pray. There are so many ways that we can violate the third word, and each of us has done it. Al Mohler has written a pretty astute paragraph, I think, on one of the ways that we can trivialize God's name. Bear it to emptiness. Listen to this. He writes, The triviality and the triteness of our triumphalistic piety, the backslapping, easy familiarity with the things of God and his own name, this is truly a scandal among us. He says, We avoid a canon of forbidden words, yet take the Lord's name in vain by the sheer triteness and cheapness of so much of how we speak when talking about God. God told me, God showed me, and God led me are commonly used expressions of evangelical piety, he says, Well, God does show, God does tell, and God does lead by his revealed word. Forms of disguised idolatry come among us when without any revealed canonical scriptural word, we speak as if God has spoken to us and has given us a new revelation. Moeller gets there at the often loose and careless ways that we invoke God's name in our speaking. But we also see the bearing of the name of Jesus to vanity when we see on TV so-called preachers who want $1,000 for a magical prayer cloth. These sorts of things are quite frankly a trivialization and a commercialization of the name of God. The intent is the enrichment of the preacher and not any actual blessing for the viewer. It's awful quiet in here. 
As Bruce Waltke has written, some preachers use God's name to enrich themselves, pretending to minister to the people of God, but in actuality defrauding them. I'll leave that one there. Or whenever we try to hitch God to our wagon, whenever we we, we secretly are trying to manipulate God in prayer, demanding of God for our own personal agendas or our own personal ends, that too is not in alignment with hallowed be your name. There are so many ways that we might violate this third word of the ten words, and we could name many more. But now, on the positive side, (laughs) as bearers of the name of Jesus, as baptized believers who are branded with his name, who carry his name wherever we go, how do we keep the third commandment? What does it look like to keep the third word? Well, of course we refrain from using the name of God in any coarse way in any flippant way, and we speak of God reverently, and we speak of God with the words of Scripture that he has given to us. But broader than that, a major step in obeying the third word is to do as Jesus commands us to do in Matthew 5.16, and let our light shine before others wherever we go. What will happen when we let our light shine before others is that God's reputation will be made great to the people around us. People will, as Jesus says, they will see our good works and they will what? They will give glory to the Father. Amen? In fact, I think it would be a major step forward for us in keeping the third word. This is my advice to you. If, if we were to become the kind of people that Jesus describes in Matthew 5. So the one who bears the name of Jesus to honor and to exaltation is the person who is poor in spirit. The person who bears the name of Jesus to honor is the person who is meek. Is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That is a bearing the name of Jesus to honor and to reverence. The person who bears the name to honor and reverence is a person who is pure in heart and a person who grieves with those who grieve. The person who bears the name to honor is the person who is a proactive peacemaker, who accepts persecution for Jesus' sake without biting back at the persecutor. And he or she is a person who acts creatively in this dark world as salt and as light. The person who's concerned to bear the name of Jesus to honor will make it a daily prayer to pray this way. In fact, let's bow our heads now and pray this together. Pray this every day. Hallowed be your name today, Lord. In my life. Help me this day to make your name great. May I revere your name and show by my words and my actions that your name is majestic in all the earth. May I speak truth and may I seek justice. May I exercise mercy today as you have exercised mercy on me. 
May I give of myself and my resources. May I maintain hope in a dark world and share hope with somebody who needs to hear it. And may I be careful not to invoke your name for my own personal agendas. May you get glory in all that I do, in all that I say, in all that I think. And in my failures, Lord, to keep this third word, please forgive me by the blood of Jesus Christ that, for, that covers all of my sin. Amen. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.